This is Johnny Gould's Jewish State. I'll never miss an opportunity to see the one and only Tuvia Tenenbaum. I spent a delightful morning with Tuvia and his wife Izzy, first in a neighborhood cafe near their hotel, where he spoke Arabic to the owner, Ivrit with passers-by, and a Slavic mix with the local builders of Marylebone. And I went to Russia for the first time in my life. And I fell in love with them. It's so different when you read something in the media or whatever and when you see it. Yeah. Followed by an amble back to the hotel for a wider chat. I mean, I think it's a chutzpah you call yourself progressive. So what am I? If you are progressive, it's like the opposite of the meaning, like, isn't it? Like, it's like, if you are progressive, then what am I? Yeah, regressive, yeah. backward. Yeah. What am I? What does yeah. it mean, progressive? Yeah. I mean, this is a chutzpah. What is a progressive? It's like you call yourself progressive. I mean, it's like yes, we are all equal, supposed to be. How did you get yourself to call yourself progressive? I mean, you have been fighting the Jews forever because they call themselves the chosen people or whatever yeah. it is, and often you call yourself chosen also, basically. Yeah. You are the progressive. Yeah. Like we are, I am, you know. I am the progressive and you are an animal, you yeah, know what I'm yeah, saying? Hello, yeah. hello, what have we gone for? Sure. I, mean, I mean, it's like it makes no sense, even sure, the sure, name sure. is like idiotic. It is idiotic. But, but it? this is the society allowed itself to get to this point, mm-hmm. and it was a step by step by step, and everybody is afraid, 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 and everybody is afraid to be called racist or to be called what, so it became like a big racist under the name of progressive. Yep, we're back to the very, very place, Mittendrin, where we did our first interview while he was writing the book. Episode 12, the actual hotel desk and chair where he edited The Taming of the Jew as the COVID-delayed launch of his scrutiny of British Jewry's attitude to anti-Semitism occurred during London's Jewish Book Week. First, though, let's pop back outside for a frank chat about Russia and Ukraine. It's always a pleasure pleasure, to see you here in London. Yes, you just told me. It's a pleasure me. to see you too. <laughs> yeah. You always told me that you hated Russia before you visited it. Yeah, I not hated. Only, not only do you love Russia, but you love Ukraine as well. Yeah. I hated Russia. I hated Ukraine. I mean, the the idea for me was Ukraine was anti-Semitic. This is what I thought, and I thought that Russia is uh, the Russian bear. You know, I thought there are people who are like always kind of angry. No sense of humor. That's my, my my prejudices that I had, you know. But now, when my editor told me to go to Russia, suggested I go to Russia for thirty days, and this was last year, you know. And I said to myself, I mean, going to Russia. I mean, it's like I'm going to kill the Russians. <laughs> I, I'm going to write the worst about them because I hate them. I hate them passionately, you know. And and I said to myself, not only go to Russia, go to Russia when like thousands of people are dying from from COVID. And they don't put a mask on places, right? You know, and it's like, what am I doing going to Russia? And and I said, you know what? But it makes no total no sense. So I'll go there. And I went to Russia for the first time in my life, and I fell in love with them. It's so different when you read something in the media or whatever, and when you see it. Yeah. I mean, first of all, for, and I give you an example. When I came to Russia, I said to myself, okay, how do I get introduction to Russia? So. I contacted some uh, journalist, Western journalist, who live in Moscow, you know, and I said, I'm coming, I would like to meet you, just to show me the, my first steps, you know, to go into Russia. And I, I get to Moscow, and I called them up, and, it, and some of them said, okay, let's go to a, let's talk on Zoom. I said, Zoom? Zoom? I came to Russia to talk to you on Zoom? Are you out of your mind? Oh, and I said, 
oh, I cannot meet, I, I can meet you only walking on the street. I cannot, next to my apartment, we'll do a round. I was like, one of them was like a chief, a, a bureau chief, you know, it's like, you know, hello, that's how you report from Russia during COVID time by sitting in your room or maximum going out around the block of your apartment. You wouldn't even go to a cafe. You wouldn't sit in your How do you report from Why are you here? I mean, it's like, and then I realized, you know, it's like, this is the Western kind of reporting. You know, I mean, it's like, we are totally out. I mean, it's like, we are totally, no standards of journalism. Anyway, so I went to Russia. I got to meet the people. I talked to the people of, you know, close to the governments. You know, I talked to the people from the foreign ministry. I met Russian journalists. I met normal Russian people. And I fell in love with them. You know, I don't speak Russian. So this is what, the other thing I said to my editor. I don't speak the language. So, but I learned a few words. And I, and I stood, you know, right next to the Kremlin. And I stopped people and I said, like, stupid things, like, Pajalsta. It's like, you know, it's like, whatever, just like words. And they were laughing, you know, it's like, encouraged me to learn more Russian, you know, it's like, and to say it in the right accent. And everywhere I went, I mean, people were so warm. People are hugging me and kissing me. Forget COVID now. It's, it's like, <laughs> but you know, it's like such an embrace, so warm, so funny. I mean, and and I fell in love with the people. So you're I mean, in a privileged position to tell us. Yeah. And this is not flag waving for a Russian invasion, but there are two sides to the story. There are two sides to every story. I'm sorry to say, there are two sides to every story. As much as I don't like, you know, what happens, and I don't like, you know, people killing people, of course. But we have been doing it in the West all the time. I mean, what have we been doing in Afghanistan? What have we been doing in Iraq? What did we do in Libya? I mean, we bombarded Libya with Tomahawk missiles. What did Muammar Gaddafi do to us? He gave up his nuclear ambitions. I mean, what have we done? I mean, we tried to impose our sense of whatever called democracy on people, on the brown people of the world, you know, and in the process killing God knows how many people. But nobody says anything because we do it so nicely. We do it so beautifully. With Tom McMissile, we kill, you know, we don't see the murder, we don't see the dead. They're just like, pick their inside. <laughs> Automatically, we take them to the graves. We do like, really nice. We don't do beheading like the Taliban. We just, ah, boom, inside. <coughs> We don't. We are not Daesh. We are not, you know, Islamic State. We don't do it, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's we do. We do. We don't do it one by one. We yeah. do it like a thousand in a second, yeah, yeah. you know. And zik, they are in the graves. You don't see anything. Yeah. One time they were alive. Now they are not. So it used to be a building. It's not anymore, baby. <laughs> it's got all the. You can't even take a pictures anymore because it's nothing. Yeah. We do it so clean, weekly. And that's what we do. Is I mean, it's like. I mean, Russia, it's, it's a beautiful culture. I mean, Ukraine also. I mean, I mean, it's a beautiful culture. It's a, it's a beautiful place. I mean, and, and it's a complex thing. I mean, I mean, you do have to remember that Kiev precedes Moscow for many, 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 many years. I mean, it's, it's the, the cultures are intertwined. Church, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's intertwined. I mean, the, 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 the Ukrainian and the Russians. And Putin has been talking about, you know, his fear or his displeasure, you know, with the spread of the West, you know, and, but we, we, we don't listen, we never listen, we, we refuse to listen to other places, to other people, and the way the, and the Russians, one thing about Russians, this is what Russians told me, if you want anything from us, do it with respect, 
don't threaten us. You'll get nothing from us if you threaten us. You'll get nothing from us if you threaten Putin or any, any Russian leader or any Russian. Respect. We respect you, you respect us. And the threat came in the form of the European Union expanding? Not only that. I mean, look at Biden. Months and months ago, in, in, in a TV broadcast, an American TV broadcast, he called Putin a murderer. That's not diplomacy. Number one, this is plain no diplomacy. I mean, if you have an enemy there, I mean, it's like if you, you want to have a good term, so it's, even if it's your chief enemy, which was not the case, but even if it's your chief there is a way to talk to people, you know. You don't go on national TV and you say the guy is a murderer. You are not going to make any deal with Putin or with any leader in these kind of levels if you put them down. We've been putting Russia down for a long time. We've been put, putting Putin down for a long, long time. And what we expect is that he will say, okay, let's have a deal. What kind of a deal? When Biden and, and the Western leaders, you know, say, if you dare to do X, Y, Z, you know, you will punish you or something in a way you never seen and never felt. Yeah. We'll put you down. You know, I'm sorry. If Putin talked to Biden like that, would Biden say, okay, let's sit down at the table and talk? I'm, I'm not taking the responsibility from Putin, but partly we are also responsible for this, for the way we did it. I mean, you come to Russia and you see this, this is an old culture, this is a beautiful culture. It's not our culture, but it's still a beautiful culture. And Putin <coughs> is an ideologue, and the Western... Putin is an ideologue. And, and, Putin is an ideologue. And he no believes in old Russian culture, and he feels yeah. that Western liberal democracy yeah. exactly. is, uh, exactly. is bubblegum. Yeah, exactly. And I'll give you an example. I mean, it's like, very simple. I mean, it's like... You go here in Britain, or in New York, or in Germany, you'll hardly ever hear people say, oh, we, the Russians, are the most beautiful. We have the most beautiful girls in the world, you know, the, the, the you know, British girls, I mean, English girls are the most beautiful. You go to Russia, you talk to the Russian ladies, you know, so we are the most beautiful ladies in the world. There is no one more beautiful than the Russian girl. I mean, this is the Russian teenagers tell me that. You know, it's like... It is like a, a breath of fresh air. I mean, I mean, it, it's normal to think that you are more beautiful than others. I mean, it's healthy. But we are in our culture. We are not supposed to say that. We are not supposed to say that we are more beautiful than anybody. We are not supposed to say that we are male or female. We are supposed to be non-binary. We are supposed to allow a, a child, five or eight year old, to go transgender operation. I mean, it's like what have we? We've become so rotten. We've become so ignorant. We've become so dictatorial. We cannot say other things. I mean, it's like, I, I say, you know, it's like, let's say Russia. Yeah, it's not a democracy like, you know, like Britain, okay? But who doesn't let you talk? If they don't let you talk, let's say it's the government. In Great Britain or in New York, who doesn't let you talk? It's your next door neighbor. I mean, you cannot say, we, we are living in, in, a, in, in a world that's progressive. You know, in the progressive world, we are supposed to say whatever. If, if, if you say black lives matter, I have to say black lives matter, and I cannot say all lives matter because this is wrong. Only thing I can say, because of some Jewish senator, you know, we can say Palestinian lives matter. 
you know, doing the, the old thing of last year. It's like, what, what what happened to us? Free speech for me, not they. Exactly, exactly. So, so there is something, you know, that we have to remember that, you know, that Russia, and, and being as it is an ideologue, you know, was afraid that you're, you're going to ruin his country. And I have seen there, while being in Russia, while being in Moscow, you have these NGOs, you know, like the German NGOs or whatever, who tell you that, you know, it's like the first thing I remember, I, I met a a German NGO, you know, operating in Moscow, and she said to me, I can't have it when, when people come here and say that the Russian ladies are beautiful. This is so racist. <laughs> Toby, we're going to go back to the hotel now. Yeah. Are you playing catch-up with Johnny Gould's Jewish State? I've had the pleasure of some really great guests... How about Douglas Murray? Israel is a rare country in the West uh, in that it does buck many of the trends. I mean, there, isn't a, there isn't a fertility rate problem in, in Israel, um, for instance, as there, there is in, in most European countries. There is a strong feeling of nationhood and of the depths that the country needs to call upon in order to unite its people. And Hillel Neuer, whose UN Watch keeps check on the excesses and mission creep of the UN human rights in Geneva. The challenges are great. They're not going away. I am concerned by the cultural revolution that we've experienced in America in the past five years, the known to some of the woke revolution, where there's a kind of a McCarthyism. If you say something, it could be cancelled and fired from your university, from your corporation, uh, from uh, journalists. And often it's uh, it's an anti-liberalism. So that that, to be honest, really really scares because we need our democracies to be healthy, to be honest, to be to be truth tellers. And so I am deeply concerned. If you like Johnny's regular podcasts, think about making a donation at either Patreon.com/slash Johnny Gould or buy him a coffee. He loves coffee. Ko-fi.com/slash Johnny Gould. Tobia Tenenbaum. Johnny Gold. It's always great to see you. And here we Same are, here. back in your hotel, back in HQ in London. Yeah. Alan Dershowitz loves your book. Thank you very much. He has a good, he has a good uh, sense of reading and a good sense of literature. Yeah, he does. And he has a good taste. <laughs> I am not an activist. I will not call myself an activist. I am not an activist. My job is to be a journalist. My job is not to be an activist. So for me, it's not to be to take a position right or left or center for me is like go to a place see what the place is about investigate and write my findings so if my findings happen to be uh, resulting in uh, for example that I am a very skinny man (laughs) and very young if this is the research that find out then that's what I write down you know so it's not about it's not about my my position, my political position, and whatever that is. As a journalist, I have no political position. You know, whatever I believe in Tuvia has nothing to do and should never infiltrate my job as a, as a, as a journalist. Journalist is journalism. I mean, 
I'm not a preacher, I'm not an activist, I'm not here to educate people. My job is to be kind of a tape recorder. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like I see things, I eyewitness things, and then I write them. For example, I mean, many times, I mean, for example, the most recent one is I had last year that I went to Russia. I, I, my prejudice against Russia was amazing. I mean, I, I hated the place and, and I hated the people. And then I went to Russia and I fell in love with the people. So no matter what my position before was, my finding pointed out that I actually like them. They're actually nice people, whatever you can say that, you know, that it's, it's, it's a beautiful culture. And so this is what I want. It's a very good way of putting it because that's what I feel my podcast is doing. Yeah. People come to me and they say, oh, that's interesting that you got that guest, as if they thought that I had a prototype of different kind yeah, of guests yeah, for it. Yeah, yeah. But actually it is. It's, like a, it's literally a tape recorder in my case. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In your case it's even more because it's a podcast. And in my case it's just, you know, whatever I find out, whatever I find, this is what it is. So even if it's against my prejudices, whatever they were. You know, so it's not, I'm not there, when I go to a place, I'm not there to confirm my prejudice. I'm there to challenge myself and, and to find out what it is. So, and that's what it is. And that's the difference between uh, um, Mr. Dershowitz, um, Dershowitz and myself. You know? Now, you share with uh, Professor Dershowitz a sort of cancellation, if you like, a, a confrontation with the BBC. When you were here in Manchester, BBC Manchester contacted you about anti-Semitism, which the way they handled it was a sort of denial that anti-Semitism existed in this country. I mean, I had been in contact with you and contact with me after I already left uh, and I was interviewed by Mike Shaft we had a a long discussion and I think it was about 45 minutes or so and I shared with him my findings about the anti-Semitism that I found in the country and about the racism I found in the country. And he seemed to actually have agreed with me, even though he might come from a different position or more on the black-white issue. And it was supposed to air a week later, and he did not hear. And it went on and on and on. I kept asking the people, the, 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 the people of the BBC, Manchester, the managers, whoever they were in those positions, and they kept pushing it, and then at one point they told me, uh, yeah, it was very, very interesting what you said. Your, 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 your findings is that Britain has a lot of issues of anti-Semitism, that it's very deep in the society, and we would love to share it. We would love to share it with our audiences, with our audience, but we have to, because the accusation is so strong, we would like to verify mm. before mm. we put it out, to verify that it is indeed that we are indeed such anti-Semites, you know. <laughs> I mean, this is like funny because, I mean, this was my opinion, you know. I mean, it's like this was an interview based on a book, you know, The, the Taming of the Jew. It was, in, in, you know, it's like my opinion, my findings. Well, they wanted to verify this. I found it very bizarre. And it went on for months and months and months. And, and finally, when I said, I think this is what you're doing is anti-Semitic, you know, by basically cancelling my interview with Mike, and they, they said, oh, no, it's going to be on. And, and then it was on, kind of. They put another, it was not Mike, it was somebody else, I don't remember who it was. And in that program, whatever long it is, I was for about four minutes. Yes. And then they found a Jew, you know, a British Jew, that everything I said 
everything and anything that I said, he immediately said the opposite. Yes. You know, so so here they found the Jews, they found the Jews that they like, you know, and the Jews that they like, you know, said that everything is good and, and there's no anti Semitism. It's it's like, you know, it's like the the history is old, you know, when people find their kind of Jew to say the worst thing against Jews or the worst thing against anybody and then say it's the Jews saying it. So I mean I mean it's it took the only interviews that were I had with Mike and, and it basically turned around on its head and, and it was senseless, you know, because that's what they did. And I, I think that standards of journalism, we talked about standards of journalism before the the standards of journalism that BBC Manchester exhibited in this case is one of the worst I've seen when it comes to journalism. This is not journalism. Journalism is if you get some person to have an interview and he says X, Y, Z, you just put an interview. I mean, if you interviewed me, and, and the other thing is, if you interviewed me about racism against transgender, and, and, and if I said that there is racism against transgender in London or in the UK, or there is racism against black people, you are not going to say, we cannot publish this interview unless we find a black person who says that there is no yeah. racism, <laughs> yeah. unless we find a transgender yeah. who says there is no... I mean, if you did that, you would have been called racist. Yes. You would have been called misogynist. You would have been called every other name that it can be. But you know what? When it comes to Jews, you can do whatever you want. And this is proper. So this is by itself anti-Semitism. This is by itself racism. And this is by itself has nothing to do with journalism, has nothing to do with what BBC supposedly stands for. So I was very, very disappointed with BBC, but, I mean, that's what it is. That's what it is, and it, that's exactly what Professor Alan Dershowitz said about his tangle. He said that the BBC ended up not being about journalism but being about advocacy because they were only willing to take one side of the argument, and in his case... He was viewed to be on the other side of the argument and so therefore was someone who was not appropriate to be interviewed. And believe it or not, their standards were not matched. So these but are very not, similar stories. Yeah, but it's not, it's not only the BBC. I mean, you have to be fair. It's not only the BBC. I mean, the journalism of the West has become like that. We've become very polarised. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you have the, on the left side of politics, or the supposedly what we used to call liberal, but it doesn't exist liberal anymore, you know, they have decided their, their views, and, and on the right, they have decided their views before. So, I mean, the state of journalism in our day and time, on the right and on the left, and, and is, is really sad. Yeah, yeah. So, it, to be fair, you cannot say this only about BBC, because the rest of the media, I mean, if it's The Guardian or The Times of London, or, or whatever it is, we, we are in a point and position in time and life that we have forgotten what journalism means, what journalism is supposed to do. Journalism is not supposed to, to be prejudiced. I mean, we are supposed to just say our findings. We are not supposed to be preaching. But this happens not only in, in the UK. It happens in Germany. It happens in New York. I mean, look at what happens in the New York Times. I mean, there's only one opinion that counts, whatever that opinion is. So, so it's to be fair, we cannot just say it against BBC. I mean... Yes, as much as I personally really hate what the BBC did to me, but I have to be fair and say this is not just the BBC. It's a malaise of Western not, journalism. They are not the only ones. They're not the only guys. Well, they are not the only guys who, and girls, you know, you're not supposed to be guys anymore. <laughs> he, only, him. Yeah, yeah, he, um, they are not the only guy, girls, whatever it is, yeah. you know, who are, who are doing this. So, yes, this is the, the sad part of our day and time when democracy lost its reason to be. Sorry.
Yeah. I mean, I mean, I would love to have a democracy. I would love to have yeah. multiplicity of yeah. ideas, you know, plurality of ideas, plurality of thoughts, and and freedom of speech and freedom of thoughts. I mean, but we have lost it in the West. Yeah. yeah. In in our day and time, we lost it. We we have no freedom of speech anymore. Yeah. We and we have no freedom of thoughts. I mean, it's like you are not even allowed to think something like that. Yeah. Or at least to admit that you think something like that. Which is a you delightful know. thing about this podcast because I'm finding that those who are willing to talk uh, come to me. The world is flat in that environment and it is yeah. a breath of fresh air to so many people, yeah. which I'm very grateful for. And you're here, precisely so for that reason, for the book. Yes. Because uh, the book was launched, sort of, but actually not in person because of COVID. Yeah, exactly. And now it is in the Jewish Book Week. I'm thankful for the Jewish Book Week for doing this. And you are going to be there with uh, Rachel Riley. Because, of course, you wrote the book a couple of years ago now. Yes. So, so um, your feelings about what was written might have been changed by forthcoming events, by events that have happened since. Would you have written it in a different way, or is it the same? Sadly, sadly it's, going to be, it's the same thing. Sadly, it's the same thing by the end of the day. I mean, the, the anti-Semitism here did not change, as far as I can tell. Nothing really changed here in uh, in the UK. I mean, it's a, it's a book basically about the UK. And it's a book about the, also about the Jews in the UK who are afraid of saying anything and everything. They are afraid of opening their mouth. So that did not change. That did not change. So I am certain about that. But so I wish I could say that this book belongs to the past and does not belong to the future or the present. But it certainly belongs to the present and sadly most likely to the future too because the Jews here are not so easily convinced that they have to be honest with themselves first you know and see the anti-semitism facing them that's the reality that's the reality of being British Jew today and that's the reality of being British Jew for a long time do you think that the last 75 years of post-war settlement where Jews were allowed to live a bit more freely where anti-Semitism wasn't such a big spectre was just an illusion or do you think I mean, things the, have the actually come to the surface and changed? The anti-Semitism of 100 years ago and the anti-Semitism of today is, is a little bit different but by the end of the day it's very much the same. I mean, we, we make it, now we, it looks like we allow Jews to do whatever they want and to speak their minds but in reality they are not allowed so we don't put them, we don't have a Gestapo on the streets you know, but we have a Gestapo of the mind put it this way. So we don't have the, you know, we don't have the, the, the story of York, you know, and the killing of Jews, you know, uh, burning them alive. We don't have that kind of things. We have become more sophisticated mm-hmm. uh, to put, uh, 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 to make it uh, like every, wherever you walk in this country, you know, they are all pro-Palestine. I mean, this is like ridiculous, but they don't even know where Palestine is on the map. But because the other people, the other side is Jewish, and the Jews here are afraid to open their mouths and afraid to criticize anything and everything. I mean, this is this is a reality. I mean, I mean, two years ago, the only time when Jews rose up to say something was because they could take all the anti-Semitism and just put it on Jeremy Corbyn as if the only one who is an anti-Semite here. I mean, this was such a cop out. It was just like it was like shameful. I mean, it's like yes, we all know who Jeremy Corbyn is and was and what he said and what he did. But he's not the only one to this to be anti-Semitic. I mean, and and then you're so so happy he was not elected. I mean, 
again, but 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 actually over 10 million Brits voted for him in the last election, and only over 13 million voted for for the Tories for the Labour Party. So after everything we know about Jeremy Corbyn, there's still you know 10 million people. I mean, and if not for Brexit, you would probably there's a good chance that you'd win, you know, to be to be the next prime minister. So basically, but but only thing you know the the, the British Jews felt comfortable of saying is to blame Jeremy Corbyn for anti-Semitism. But this is a cop-out. You know, n- not one person, especially if you claim to be a democracy here, you know, that we are not like in, in the 30s in Germany, you know, not one person can decide for everybody else. So so it's not just Jeremy Corbyn who was anti-Semitic and everybody else was sweetheart, you know, and the Jews, you know, were living around in, 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 in a garden of Sweden, yeah. and the only one who disrupts the peace and love yeah. was a guy by the name of Jeremy Corbyn. I mean, I mean that was so he was ridiculous. Yeah, that was so ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, just going back to this uh, idea of the Gestapo of the mind, yeah. who is controlling the Gestapo of the mind? Are we self-censoring, or is actually someone, a, a collusion of interests coming together... To stop this, so like for example, the media or so it's not like corporates. A mysteri- there's not like a mysterious person over there, like a conspiracy theorist, you know, in the QAnon or whatever it is, or there is somebody over there is hiding, you know, in the dark room and is controlling everybody. Yeah. We actually have done it ourselves. It's self-censorship, uh, it's isn't it? Self-censorship, you know. We have done it ourselves. We we just couldn't stop it, you know. We couldn't stop it, it and it became, it, you know, the the, the media, the the, acad- the the academic world, you know, I mean, the university world. I mean, we have allowed those people to say whatever it is, and 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 this is mushroom, just so one step by one step. I mean, it's, it became extreme. You know, it started very nice. You know, boom, boom, boom. Everybody is right. You know, boom, boom, boom. And all of a sudden, this and this and this and this, and we have gone to the point that that democracy doesn't exist anymore because it's already dictatorship. You know, you cannot say anything, but it's the society did it to itself. It's not like, you know, it's the society did it to itself. And with the help of COVID, it became even a more catalyst, you know, to this kind of progressive kind of thinking. I mean, I think it's a chutzpah, you call yourself progressive. So what am I? If you are it's progressive... It's like the opposite of this the meaning, like, isn't it? Like, it's like, if you are progressive, then what am I? Yeah, regressive, yeah. backward. Yeah. What am I? What does yeah. it mean, progressive? Yeah. I mean, this is a chutzpah, but not really progressive. It's like you call yourself progressive. I mean, it's like, yes, we are all equal, supposed to be. How did you get yourself to call yourself progressive? I mean, you have been fighting the Jews forever. They call themselves so them the chosen people or whatever yeah. it is. And all of a sudden, you call yourself chosen also, basically. Yeah. You are the progressive. Yeah. Like, we are, I am, you know... I am the progressive and you are an animal. You yeah, know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Hello, hello. What have we gone for? Sure. I, mean, I mean, it's like it makes no sense. Even sure, the sure, name sure. is like idiotic. It is idiotic. But, but it? this is the society allowed itself to get to this point mm-hmm. and it was a step by step by step and everybody is afraid, afraid, afraid and everybody is afraid to be called racist or to be called what? So it became like a big racist under the name of progressives. That's basically what we become. And so finally, Tovia, what is yes. your advice to every British Jew living in London? And Manchester, Birmingham, I mean, they are not going to change. They are not going to change their, their attitude. I mean, they are not going to be heroes one day, the British Jews, and fight anti-Semitism. It's never going to happen. So the only advice I can say to them is, you know, it's like uh, take your belonging, put them in British Airways, take your bodies, and British Airways because you are British, take British and fly to Tel Aviv <laughs> and fly to Jerusalem. I mean, still with British Airways, but you know, not, not Ella. After you are in Israel, you go to, uh, you know, because now, now you want to show yourself a British you are. But what I'm saying, I mean, it's like the solution for the British Jewry 
is not here. I, I'm sorry to say it. I mean, there is no future for, for this kind of Jews. I mean, you are hiding all the time. I mean, you go to the temples, you are hiding. I mean, it's like, look at the fences, look at the CTS. I mean, look at the security you put on everything. I mean, it's ridiculous. And the people around you don't like you. And it's not the Muslim who don't like you. It's your brother and sister, you know, the white men and women, you know, who don't like you. Or think you are ugly. Or think you are terrible. Or think you are killing and drinking the blood of little Palestinian children. I mean, this is like ridiculous. I mean, I mean, nothing changed in the mindset. So I think it's time for, if you are a British Jew, and if you want to have a good future for you and for your children, just to pick your belonging and, and get out of here. I mean, I can tell you one thing, there is much better food in Israel than in Britain. <laughs> so that's for one thing. The yeah. weather is much better. Yeah, the weather is The good. weather is much better. You have more yeah. sun over there. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's a great feeling to walk around the street and, and everybody around you almost... Is a Jew too. Yeah, and I tell you, it was an amazing. And they don't say that you are an ugly Jew because no. they are Jews too. The most amazing thing. I was walking down Rothschild on Shabbat afternoon. I'd just been to shul, to a Sephardi shul, a Moroccan yeah. Sephardi shul, full of young French Parisians, basically. Yeah. And we walk out of Rothschild, which is full of absolutely everyone, cars everywhere, yeah. uh, Jews with tattoos, yeah. uh, hipsters, yeah. and a frummer with <coughs> with a talus around yeah. his yeah. shoulders. And carrying his sidor yeah. and his couple, and he's walking yeah. down the road, and he's in between the bikes, yeah. and everyone is peaceful and happy yeah, in a Gan Eden kind of way. Yeah, yeah. It was a really beautiful moment. Yeah, it's much better than here, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's the only thing I can tell them. Tuvia Tenenbaum, as always, an absolute pleasure. It's a, a privilege, pleasure in fact. It's a pleasure to be with you, John. Thank you very much. You're doing great things. Thank you. Now, if you think I add value to what's out there and you enjoy my podcasts, your generosity is a welcome thumbs up. It really, really is. Make a donation at jewishstate.co.uk by clicking on the PayPal icon, going to patreon.com slash johnnygould, or even you can buy me a coffee, a sort of virtual one, I think, ko-fi.com slash Johnny Gould. That's ko-fi.com slash Johnny Gould. And thank you so much. Tell your friends about Johnny Gould's Jewish State. Subscribe and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Johnny Gould's Jewish State is supported by UK Teremet, promoting philanthropy.